0: Hey, and welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Today's episode is number 78. So I'm uh, licking my chops thinking already forward to number 100. And if you have any thoughts about who you'd like me to interview for the uh, the century mark of the show, um, drop a comment on the website and uh, I'll take it under advisement. A couple of quick things before we get to today's episode. Um you know, I do this as a labor of love. And at the same time, it's awesome when I can make money doing things that I love as well. So there's two ways right now that I am uh, making a bit of a career in the uh, helping people be better movement. One of them is I work with professionals who have practices that they would like to expand. So through marketing, through strategy. So if you've got a practice or you want to set one up, Uh, One of the things that I'm good at is helping you figure out who the market is, how to talk to them, how to find them, how to turn them from uh, strangers into uh, paying clients and referral sources, um, and how to do it while staying true to your values. So if that's you or someone you know, I'd appreciate it. If you could send them my way, you could just send them to plantyourself.com or uh, they could email me directly hj at plantyourself.com. Second thing is I work with um, people ordinary folks who would like to be healthier. Uh, I've done a lot of executive coaching performance coaching. And I'm taking that into the world of wellness, nutrition, fitness, stress management, stuff like that. So a whole skill set that I developed in the entrepreneurial and corporate world, I'm now applying. And for individuals who, who just want to be better, want to be healthier. Again, hj at plantyourself.com if you're interested in having a conversation and finding out more. So today's episode features Alan Muscat, whom I found when I was helping my wife research programs for her to study uh, herbal medicine in the North Carolina area where we live. And we found a school in Asheville and one of the faculty members was Alan Muscat. And I popped over to his website because he, he had a bunch of puns in his uh, bio description on this uh, other website. And I found him to be chock full of puns and also a really cool cat. Um, his way of looking at food and health is different from anyone I've ever met or heard of and not to give too much away, but he believes that we should not be paying money for our food. Um, it's, It's on the ground. It was given to us. And in fact, the things that we spend the most time, effort, money, and toxic chemicals trying to kill, some of the weeds that just grow all around us are actually some of the healthiest foods that have ever been discovered and assayed by science. So in this interview, we talk not just about food, but about politics, psychology, spirituality, recipes, mushrooms, um, both of us um, kind of escaped from the same um, educational experience and mindset at Princeton University and went on to, uh, to vastly different, but in some ways, similar endeavors. So without further ado, welcome, Alan. Thank you. Uh, so we we have uh, a few things in common. Um, we're we're both uh, you know thinking and living to some extent outside the mainstream, and we both had very sort of traditional uh, college experiences. At least start started out that way at, at Princeton. I'm curious about your your story. Um, you know where uh-huh. how, how you. How you gradually came to find yourself farther, further and further away from the the mainstream of Western thinking and civilization.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm glad you mentioned Princeton. I was unsure whether to do that. Uh, and then when you uh, when you started to of say gradually, and I and I thought of graduated, and how I I almost didn't. I was hesitant to even finish. So my shift, when you're talking about, started in college and um although it was rather difficult as i shifted to be in such a conservative place i have to say that um there are three things i did there that i had not done before and i think they came together to propel me you know to where i am now Mm -hmm. and one is cooking for the first time I, i opted not to join one of the eating clubs so i was in a um well, a cooperative called Two Dickinsons, and um, Oh, okay. Was, uh-huh. <laughs> I'd
0: heard of that, those people. i never actually met yeah. any of them.
1: Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I think we were collectively <laughs> a well-deserved reputation as being on the fringe in, in a number of ways. Um, and I fit right in with the misfits, <laughs> as it were. <laughs> and, yeah, and so I got into um, cooking led to... Uh, an awareness of um, whole foods, natural foods, organic foods, and um, to step towards wild didn't happen until I graduated. But in school, I also went hiking with Outdoor Action, I'm sure you know. And um, having been from Miami, I had never done that. Um, And I remember it was a revelation to see someone on the Appalachian Trail, like eating blueberries from a bush. <laughs> uh, and um, the last thing that I, that was actually, I guess, academic, would have been uh, a study of Taoism that uh, was new to me. And that precursor to Buddhism from China was all about being natural and not being like overlaid with these rules and conditioning and, uh, you know, domestication basically of being civilized, uh, becoming wild yourself and all that led to, um, you know, gu- wanting to go back to the land, which I did, you know, and I moved onto a farm and, you know, grew our own food. And, um, but in that time with the growing, I mean, it's I had it already realized like, why bother if you can just harvest it for free and, um, I I dated a succession of herbalists in that time, so the plant the plant stuff was fairly covered because um, their food is medicine, you know, philosophy, I already had a seeding wild plant, but no one knew. I didn't know anyone who knew mushrooms, and so I hit the books as I was used to doing, and um, I learned the, the hard way,
0: you yeah. know. Th- that's interesting because there's. I'm hearing so many parallels where I, I kind of discovered cooking in college. I I was in an eating club and I dropped out halfway through and went to a Spelman dorm that had kitchens. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my roommates was really into sort of natural foods. And I remember arguing with him and saying, you know, I like chemicals. They taste good. <laughs>
1: wow. That's um, just...
0: You know, and I, my first year out, I was teaching um, world cultures in uh, in a uh, in middle school at Princeton Day School, prep school. And I got into Taoism from, um, you know, and I also, also really enjoyed hiking. I would go up to Blairstown a lot with another school. And yet all of those same forces and activities just kind of made made me. They, they they didn't propel me out of my thinking, out of this culture's grip on me. And I'm wondering, was there uh-huh. one moment where there was like you know enough leverage for you to look around and and say, you know, mother mother culture is insane because it didn't that didn't happen to me until my mid 40s, and I'm still teetering back and forth in you know uh-huh. in, in my soul.
1: Yeah, gosh, um, I'd have to go. I guess halfway there and I, and I, and I certainly feel like I'm teetering in terms of like, I'm in, I'm 47 and I'd say that in my late 20s, um, you know, it's hard to pinpoint moments and, and I, I actually had, um, at that point I took uh psychedelic mushroom for the first time and I have to say those were very eye-opening to me and, um, I think that foundationally today, what I see as crazy about our culture is that it's fear-based and fundamentally what I felt in those experiences was the, you know, sudden absence of that fear that I have carried all my life and I continue to, you know, teeter back into. So, um, that was a, that was a pivotal time for me, not because I changed, um, my lifestyle—I'm like much outwardly, but um, oddly enough, I, I would say that I actually went back to um, being outwardly more conservative because what I had done in trying to be radical outwardly was not take care of myself. Um, I uh, even on um, uh, on a diet level, I was still eating with very high carbs. For example, and um, I, on a, what you call financial level, you know, I wasn't I wasn't really supporting myself, and so I realized I could teach wild foods, I could sell wild foods for a living, and I and I needed to focus, and um, you know, so I, I kind of settled down um, from being so much of a dilettante, and um, realized that like. Uh, I had to look at why am I? How can I? How can I not be so afraid all the time without help from some drug that's going to wear off? Um, and in a way, I think that that's hopefully what I'm teaching um, now, even though it's not explicit when I teach wild foods. Mm. Well,
0: I, I I love that. You know, one one of the yeah. way one of the ways you opened your eyes was you know literally to listen to a plant. So, you know, that the, the the psychedelic experience sounds like it was, you know, let's let's turn off the station that's playing mother culture, telling us, you know, mm-hmm. get a better job, get a bigger house, get more security, put money in the bank, everything's fine. And and going directly to the to the source to, of, of what, you know, when we start ingesting plants, whether it's just eating more fruits and vegetables and less pop tarts and and um you know, Friday's chicken wings, or foraging, or psychedelic mushrooms, that those substances in our bodies are going to teach us something.
1: Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm hopefully, again, like, trying to get people, although it's difficult, I mostly have, you know, um, one time tourists, mainly, it's my bread and butter at this point, um, who in three hours aren't going to form a relationship where they're really listening, you know, to a plant or even thinking it would have something to say. But, um, uh, it's a first step towards that to even notice people see a mushroom. And I can't believe, I can't believe these are all over here. I never saw them before. Um, so I think, uh, it's still a growing edge for me. You know, we teach what we need to learn. And I, uh, I didn't grow up, you know, Giving much importance to other humans, most much less, you know, other plants.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know. So you you said you you were dating a succession of, of herbalists, and then you realized that. Like these, the, the, the plants that they were recommending that, you know, that they were using in their practice and using, telling people to get well, were probably not cultivated plants. They were wild things growing in the woods and in the fields and on the, in the hedgerows. Um, what was, what was one of the first wild plants or weeds that you came across that kind of convinced you a little bit that this is okay to eat?
1: Yeah, well, the the um, herbalist I was dating at the time, she actually became one when we were together by, uh, you know, training with a wise woman herbalist, which is sort of the modern euphemism for witch. <laughs> and um, the, like you said, the tradition, you know, just by necessity was to use um, often wild stuff, From Europe, and one of the first plants for me I think of immediately is chickweed. Uh, It's also from Europe since I don't know maybe 1700. It's been here, and um, it's known as the uh, the maiden uh, out of three sort of key plants in that tradition. And uh, it just has that feeling to it. It's just kind of like young and innocent. It's it's a salad green basically, even though it can, you know, powerfully help medicinally. It helps gently and you can eat it just like garlic is powerful and yet you can eat as much as you want. And um even now that it's getting cold, you'll find it even under the snow. So it's very dependable. Um, and you can make pesto out of it and um if you have a lot of it um if you can't, you know, it's sort of psychologist to cook it but a whole bunch of times I have um And, uh, yeah, that, that dandelion nettle, um, there's really the same, I'd say 10 that I've been thinking since I started that a person could learn in a single season and eat as much as they want, you know, feed themselves, you know, with just, uh, those few purslane lands quarter, burdock, uh, violet, the list is on my website and, it's not hard to learn them
0: so do you, do you find that people who come in with no knowledge have the skills and confidence to start to to recognize those plants and and to you know to know what to eat and what not to eat or does it take you know a lifetime of study
1: on well, neither one I mean it's in between um, unfortunately we are so disconnected that it takes us longer than it would um in any other culture. I mean kids would know these ten plants, you know, before they were seven and they wouldn't learn it in school. They would never even sit down with their parents to learn it. Certainly not from a book. Uh you know, comparison from um Yoil Gibbons, who's a kind of a very well known foraging author, was Cabbage and iceberg lettuce are pretty similar. And most of us can tell them apart without having ever studied it or even been explained the difference. <laughs> you know? And none of the, uh, those wild plants are any more difficult, even though at a glance it may be daunting to tell, um, you know, one thing from what is commonly known as a look-alike. But, you know, if I lined up your... Your sibling or your parent in one of those police lineups. now you should probably have to tell them apart. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I mean, what, what, one of the things I discovered when I first was introduced to uh, to wild foraging was I think I think plantain was the first plant that somebody showed me, and yeah. then I saw it everywhere, including all mm-hmm. over my yard. Like, it, had, it hadn't even existed in my consciousness. And then yeah. as, soon, as soon as it was brought into relief, I became aware of, like, this incredible abundance all around me.
1: Yeah, i have actually thought of plantain. I'm sitting outside now and surrounded by plantain. And it's just that I teach um food more than medicine. And plantain's more of a medicine uh, than a food. But it's really on the edge of being on my top ten, given that... Like you said, it's called Spaniard's foot or Englishman's foot because everywhere they step foot, it turned up, huh.
0: and it's all over the place. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So what are, uh, what are some good reasons that people should begin getting to know wild edibles and collecting them? How, how, do, you, how do you start to convince people, uh, who are open-minded at least, that this is a useful thing to do?
1: Yeah, well, like you said, you, you know, you like the taste of chemicals. So, unfortunately, we're, you know, we're we're drugged up with the, with the wrong drugs. Um, and I take kids out, you know, I have a public school program, and they're the, well, sadly the most difficult to convince, because they haven't learned the hard way yet, that these diseases we have more today than ever are degenerative, and they're diseases of civilization. I mean, maybe you've talked about that already. But, um, you know, it, it's not that hard to convince the people who are already coming to me. Uh, but I still run through the reasons, because generally people don't realize, and I don't think I ever did, that I've, I count seven basic reasons now. And it's nice to, you know, be, a, be conscious of, of what you're getting out of this. A lot of people just think it's fun, and um, I, I list that as a reason, although fun could actually really translate into one of the other six one is empowerment i mean the idea that i you know liberated from having to get my food shrink wrapped or pay for it um is huge um and i get people for that reason you know preppers they call them or people into transition or doomsday and that sort of thing um but uh we've already touched on the health reason and personal health. The wild foods are, have been documented to be 10 to a hundred times more nutritious. Uh, and there's, there's a book on that I can direct people to, but there's also the health of the planet. So we're up to, I think four reasons now. Um, it's, it's the local food, um, the sustainable food, you know, uh, agriculture is just inherently unsustainable and uh, you can grow wild food uh, even though it sounds like an oxymoron but that's what permaculture would be. That's what Native Americans did. So that's the fourth reason um, uh, for, you save money of course it's free um, you know that's uh, a fifth and then my the sixth my favorite reason really um, I started to talk about with relationship is a sense of reconnection. I call it home. Like you feel at home when you realize the Garden of Eden like never went away. Like it's all around us and we don't see it. That's really a huge step for me in feeling that in that fear that I talked about, I mean, that's what hopefully this dissolves. Oh my God, the, you know, I live on a planet that you know supports me, and that there's enough for everyone. I don't have to compete uh, in a world of scarcity. So that's there's seven reasons. One.
0: Those are beautiful. I'd love to unpack a few of them. Just or a, a response to this idea of fear and home mm-hmm. is you know I've I've been doing gardening slash permaculture for a couple of years now and. Mm-hmm. Last spring, I went to put out a lettuce crop and, uh-huh. and I'm doing it all permaculturally. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very messy. It doesn't look like a, uh, you know, a textbook garden. And I put these teeny little lettuce seeds in the ground and I covered yeah. them with an eighth of an inch of dirt and I watered them. And I walked back to my house thinking that's never going to grow. Like, it's just so unlikely. Uh-huh. And I realized, you know, that scientifically, of course, you know, they're seeds, they're supposed to grow, I'm doing everything right, some of them will come up. And yet, sort of in a really deep place, I felt so mm-hmm. distrustful uh, that, that yeah. the earth was going to do this for me. And it really, uh-huh. it really made me realize the the conditioning that that i think everything good has to come from somewhere else that I, I don't have direct control over it so you know to to walk outside and to see a dandelion and pick some leaves and just chew them and yeah you know they 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 don't taste like uh, twinkies and kit cats but their mm-hmm. food and feel really good and clean when you when you eat them was yeah. uh, was very eye opening yeah
1: yeah yeah bitters is a is a great Category of example. And it's unfortunate that this book um, about how wild foods are so much more healthy uh, has a, um, it's called The Missing Link. And yet I was thinking, that, you know, this book ends up recommending, um, you know, like arugula for your lettuce and not dandelion. dandelion. I'm wondering why, why? And I think it's on like page 13. She says, dandelion's too bitter. Um, it's so horribly bitter and, and tough and hairy. And, um, you know, dandelion, it's not hairy. And I realized that this, she she misidentified cat's ear, which is, can be more bitter and is here. And so, um, you know, it's an undeserved reputation. And some people love bitter. And uh, we drink coffee and chocolate, and um, we, uh, we expect that, and maybe we sweeten it. And you could put a honey mustard, you know, some dressing on dandelion. And, and it tastes better the more you realize that little kick is, is so good for you, of that, you know, that bitterness. Right. You know? well,
0: yeah, I mean, I work with a lot of people who are coming off the standard American diet, and I'm just trying to get them to eat more fruits and vegetables. And for them mm-hmm. even to, to, you know, to eat an apple or a peach, there's, there's weeks and weeks of uh, neuroadaptation that has to take place until they recalibrate and think, oh, this is good. So yeah. it's, it's, probably, it's probably even more so to, uh, to to get back to nature, to the foods that we, we literally evolved next to.
1: Yeah, I mean, not always. I mean, they're, it, it's hard to imagine. I guess if someone won't eat an apple or peach, they may not like wild fruits, but many of them are, are just as sweet or better and um, are nearly identical, like our wild berries, raspberry. And... Um, you know, I I sell the same wild foods that are ultra healthy to restaurants that are serving I guess maybe people on a higher bracket have uh you know, that kind of palate already. But I have no doubt that, you know, well prepared, some of these foods would be very flavorful even to the most um, you know, cafeteria raised person. They may actually be too flavorful is the
0: problem. Mm. You know? Well, I remember, you know, two, two years ago was the first time I ever tasted a pawpaw. And, oh, yeah. and I was blown away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, how come I've never had this before? I was like, well, there's no, uh-huh. there, there's no supply chain. There's no, there's no, yeah. there's no model for, for somebody to get rich <laughs> off of it. And, and therefore, yeah, the only way you can get it is for free. It's
1: such a, yeah, the best thing in life <laughs> for free. Um, and it's such a good example. I mean, I got my first major pawpaw haul. Um, I was in DC speaking at the the national garden and, uh, it's loaded, uh, you know, in that mid Atlantic region, not like Asheville where I am living. And, um, you know, I had to get home, you know, a, uh, like, uh, two big coolers worth. And, um, it has a very short window. You see of ripeness for most people. Um, And um, that's one reason it's it's very fragile and doesn't travel well. And, you know, she's explained this about apples and things. Um, And that's the, but it's just fascinating. You know, we have a culture of want everything whenever, but there's, there's that trade off, isn't there? You know, that like the, if you can, tolerate like, you know, the joy of only having this wonderful thing that's only available once a year. And every year that it comes around, you can look forward to it. You know, then it doesn't just become all the same all year. All right.
0: Well, we, we we I mean we instinctively do that. It's a culture like we don't have you know Christmas morning every day, and there's you know there's certain <laughs> holiday foods that just come around, and we we get excited and look forward to them. You know, and despite yeah. the fact that Christmas is now four months long, it's there's still <laughs> a seasonality around pumpkins and you know var- yeah. and various cranberry sauce. There's various foods that we do consciously limit. Because mm-hmm. so they will be special when they come around again. Yeah,
1: yeah, and yeah, that's a great way for people to to relate to this. But it's a it's a, to, to to consciously you know say no. I mean, you can you can get cranberries you know frozen year round. I like, I remember I uh, I grew up Jewish and uh, Passover would be the big. Holiday with foods, and um, I remember having to like consciously not make certain foods, even though I love them. Uh, you know, another time of the year, and um, it's uh, it's certainly a challenge to to have a you know that kind of self-discipline, that 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 letting go and trust that you know uh, things will come around.
0: You know? Right, and and also the cr- the crazy fact that we needed self discipline to not eat a slice of Wonder Bread for eight days. Yeah,
1: <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah, that's that's very odd. Um, it's all uh, what you're used to. My dad once said, like it's it's a miracle of of advertising that we could be trained to love breakfast cereal. You know, because it really is sort of like bits of cardboard, but the fact is. They're also soaked in sugar, and I'm sure that's why I always—they're carbs, so they're carb bores. So um, it's you know, it's um, all—it's all the drug addictions I've I've come to realize. All the foods that we are comforted by, literally, they're—they have morphine in them.
0: Yeah. So I I want to come back to this idea you mentioned that agriculture itself is unsustainable. And mm-hmm. I think that comes as a shock to people, um, especially, yeah. you know, in, in my community, in the plant-based community, mm-hmm. where, you know, we would say that, you know, the, va- the vast majority of grains on this planet are, are going to feed animals that shouldn't be eating grains <laughs> in the first place that we end up eating. But if we grow fields <laughs> of, you know, broccoli and mustard greens and lettuce and, and carrots and potatoes, that that's perfectly fine. What, what do you see about large-scale agriculture that's unsustainable
1: well it doesn't the scale uh doesn't matter i mean qualitatively um just you know i was a philosophy major so i need to start with sort of the pure expression and realize that of course you know factory farming you know is like is awful and um you know gmo and chemicals uh you know are awful and um but when I say agriculture, it means everything down to organic gardening in your backyard in the purest sense. And the reason is that the word agriculture means to grow in a field. That's what agriculture means. And fields on 99% of the earth you know, are not natural. I mean, those grains are growing, you know, in a in what was, say, a prairie ecosystem um, in some areas. And in our area where I am, it's called the bio Bioregion. It's designed to be covered in trees. I mean, it's said that a squirrel on the East Coast, you know, when the um, settlers arrived, could, like, go across, you know, the Eastern Seaboard without touching the ground. Um, So... The reason we have to pull weeds and the reason we have to clear land is because it's not naturally that way. So permaculture that I mentioned before includes uh, what you'd call, um, say, horticulture or forest gardening or silviculture, which means, um, you know, allowing the trees to be there and growing things that would... That, that thrive on their own without our help. And that does not look like field cropping, um, and even in a little garden behind your house, you can see that the weeds are stronger than your plants because the weeds are adapted to being here. And the idea is, okay, can we get used to eating? Not entirely, okay? I mean, it's. I think it's... I eat certainly my, you know, winter squash or, sugar, you know, cultivated tomatoes and even a little lettuce, like, as a treat. But let's our, let our staples be what is... Adapted to to the location. Otherwise, agriculture is a for ten thousand years. It's been a failing proposition. I mean, it, it's you're fighting nature, and you can't win when you fight
0: nature. Mm-hmm. So what what's what do you look at as evidence that you know th- that it's failing? What what are the the objective measures mm-hmm. of of something that's unsustainable because you know it's like we, we we're both I think fans of the uh, the Ishmael books, the Daniel Quinn books, and he he has a great mm-hmm. metaphor of like a plane h- heading straight for the ground in free fall, and mm-hmm. you know you're you're sort of looking out the window and going so far so good, and there's only uh-huh. like a few people in the in the front can see the ground approaching and no one wants to listen to them. So when you, when you see the ground approaching of an unsustainable system, that's 10,000 years old, what do you look for?
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I'm no expert on this. I mean, I just understand it in the broadest strokes and I have references on my website to entire books, uh, you know, like against the grain would be one um, and uh, that are about this. And, even um, even 1491, a book about what how you know Native Americans managed the wild, um, and there's a book called Tending the Wild about that tradition. But you know, you're asking about statistics, and I think we could look at, and I'm no expert at it. You know, topsoil erosion, pollution, um, loss of forests, the um, this sounds like a little harder to get a handle on, but imperial, the imperialism of cultures is inherently due to the exhaustion of natural resources. So if you look, if you want to isolate and do like a controlled study, then look at how much input are required. You know, if you have to fertilize with either, you know, chemicals that you've made or animal products from somewhere else, then you don't have a self-sustaining system. You know, you it's that simple, and I don't ha- I I don't have the studies at the, you know, on the top of my head, but it seems, despite you know your metaphor of like you said the plane, the plane crashing, you know, you just look down at the ground and you can see we're getting <laughs> pretty close pretty fast.
0: Right, and and you know, as as someone who's started gardening, inspired by permaculture, you know, I'm not I haven't you know, grown a forest garden, or I'm, you know, I'm starting it, but I'm, you know, 20 years away from, from anything that would be stable without a lot of energy inputs on my part. But just every time I got a little light bulb in my head, like, you know what, you're fighting nature. And I would figure out Mm -hmm. some other way to do it, whether it's instead of weeding, planting, you know, preemptive weeds. So, So under sowing all of the crops with clover, Mm-hmm. Um, putting putting down, you know, returning everything to the soil, building up um, organic matter rather rather than, you know, tilling and and just yeah. um, and I'm still certainly at the very beginning stages, but every time I have a breakthrough and I go, oh, nature is trying to teach me something, it gets easier, <laughs> and <laughs> and the and the end product gets better.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a, you know, I remember One Straw Revolution was a book of a Japanese author in permaculture about, you know, doing as little work as possible and letting nature do the work. And I was uh, profoundly influenced by that, by that book in in my senior year. And, um, yeah, so you just reminded me of that.
0: Yeah, and, 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 uh, you know, to, to, to his credit, you know, the, the title of the book comes from he's like walking somewhere. He's got this, you know, rice family rice field, and he's trained to work harder and harder to get the marginal yield from it. And he and he sees this this beautiful like, stalk of rice growing in a ditch all by itself. No one's trying to grow it. He's like, that is a message from beyond. Oh, well, that's great. I, I didn't remember that. Uh, wonderful. Yeah, so you know, yeah, w- when we look around in our society, we see all these messages telling us that this is the way to be, that everything is normal. But when you look around, you you know, the, it's the little outliers. So it's you finding, you know, two Dickinson or uh, mm-hmm. Masanobu, you know, look, looking at this one stalk to say, "Boy, there's there's more to life than than I've been taught."
1: Yeah, and there's a. Like- Expressions To the student of Zen, a weed is a treasure. You know, it's like, huh, maybe, you know, maybe with the stuff I've always I've spent my life fighting against, you know, like, is actually teaching me that life can be so much easier when I go with the flow, you know, and I appreciate what's already there,
0: Yeah, you know. Right. And that, that seems to be a theme of, of your life philosophy and work. And, you know, this conversation is just this this feeling of home and faith that like a real faith, not a faith that I'm always worried about and that I have to, you know, defend against other people, but a a real faith that I'm on the right planet and, Mm -hmm. and this is meant for me.
1: Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that word. I don't know why I hesitate so much to, um, you know, re- to express that this is really uh, spirituality or religion, you know, we're talking about. Cause, um, and it is real faith in the sense that, to me, faith <clears throat> means, sounds to me with that word as a trust that you have to work to have. And what I've learned since the psychedelic like, like experience is that um, you need a gut sense. I mean, you need a knowing. And so it's not even faith, it's not even trust. It's just a, um, a sense of solidness. Like if you were sitting at home and you had your pile of firewood, you know, and your food stocked up, you know, and, uh, all your gardens and you're surrounded by your extended family and your community, they have your back and that kind of security, you know, as, um, you know, that, that it that feels real, that creates a sense of faith and I think when the when you get that from the earth itself and expand it to the universe, then you have a a real sense that um oh wait a second, like you know, I'm I'm meant to be here, am part of a system, uh the whole thrust of which is designed to allow me to thrive. Uh, that's powerful,
0: you know. Yeah, you know, in in my own sort of personal um, development and work in groups, I've come to realize that there's an epidemic in in our culture of self justification, that just being Uh myself is not like I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough. I'm not loving enough, smart enough, whatever. I'm not enough. And (laughs) and I think it comes from feeling like somehow I got off the bus at the wrong stop. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, this this uh, when, when we get our food f- from boxes, it does nothing to to change our minds we're, because we're, we're getting that food from the sweat of our brow, from trying to be enough to make enough to uh, to be able to afford this stuff as opposed to there's no justification that's necessary when I when I walk in in public space and, and pick food off the ground.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like you, uh, you deserve to live here for free. You know, I, you know, I love you just the way you are. Like, this is like, uh, the beautiful feeling that's just can bring tears to anyone's eyes because we're all, uh, born into a system. doesn't give us a place to live, you know, um, uh, and doesn't necessarily honor, you know, our gifts. You know, unless they, they produce, you know, more um, goods and services, you know, um, it's tremendous. You know, this epidemic of depression is more evidence, you know, and <clears throat> teen suicide. I mean, to me, those are all uh, play into a, a loss of um, feeling that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. To me, it's <clears throat> my fear is always uh, I'm missing the bus. <laughs> I don't even get on the bus uh, uh, and that has been that treadmill um, still uh, you know I just went to the dentist I had like a $3,000 bill I'm facing from a lifetime of teeth grinding at night because systemically I've been afraid 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 um, and uh, so this is very real for me You know, this is going to kill me if I, um, don't change. And I, I had a digestive breakdown in 2000 when that, when you talk about moments, that's the other one I thought of. I was like, oh God, I have to stop. I realized running around downing pastries and, um, chasing, chasing a savior, um, to me, which meant either like a great business deal or a great uh, girlfriend. <laughs> it was chasing something, you know, any drug, you know, as opposed to this natural food, that you know, natural world where I'm safe and I don't need to be saved.
0: Yeah, yeah I think there's a, there's for me what came up was this. Um, you talk about it's you know it's religion, it's spirituality. Is this beautiful um, Christian? Sacrament of Communion, where Mm -hmm. you're, you know, in in that tradition, you're taking in the transubstantiated body of Christ, of your Savior, and you know, Mm -hmm. to me, it's the same when you when you put this food in your mouth. What whatever you put in your mouth is going to inform your allegiance. You know, wherever wherever you eat, that's who you serve. And so, if you're eating, if you're eating off the earth, your allegiance can be to, to this. This giant body that loves us with just the right amount of gravity, has has been next to us our entire life, knows, knows all of our secrets, and and wants and just wants the best for us. Yeah,
1: yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me, you're right. You know, you are you are what you eat. And um I'm reading a great book called The Slow Down Diet right now. <sighs> yes,
0: Mark Mark David. You heard of it? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah.
1: And it's, it's just so beautiful to realize, Oh, wow. It's just as important how I eat than what I eat. And it, and it's meaningful in terms of feeling, um, you know, that I don't have to rush. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, um, I think you're, you're totally right. Right on with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I lost my train of
0: thought. So, so but before I let you go, I want to I want to talk mm-hmm. about mushrooms. You said you know a mushroom helped you, um, a psychedelic mushroom helped you. But you you um, are really into helping people get to know this this totally other kingdom. They're not plants, right? It's this totally mm-hmm. alien mm-hmm. thing that has such intelligence and gifts for us tell just give us an introduction to why we should care about fungi.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have a collection of, um, one liners and terms of phrase. I just added a, out of this world to it this morning, because they're not only separate kingdom, there are actually, uh, credible scientific theories that they come from outer space. <laughs> um, and, uh, and furthermore, that, um, you know, that it's, you know, guided our evolution. And, uh, oh, I realized what I was, when I lost my train of thought, what I wanted to say is, is fairly relevant is that, um, you know, that, that thing about, we just get just enough gravity and the earth loves us. Um, you know, I, I think for a lot of people today, including me, it just strikes me as like a fruity, you know, and, um, wishful thinking, but again, um, you can't argue with a a real sense Um, and mushrooms helped me with that. And in this train of thought that I've been trying to relate about getting away from drugs and looking for magic bullets or superfoods, mushrooms are considered that, but, you know, all mushrooms that grow around us have to some degree those elements called polysaccharides such as beta-glucan. Uh, and you don't have to buy the certain ones you know, in the store. You could find them yourself. And it's the relationship that is really healing. And so reishi, turkey tail, hen of the woods, these are three in my top 10 that are very common uh, in most areas, although hen of the woods is only in the East. Uh, and... Those same seven reasons to, you know, hunt wild food include healthier for you. Mushrooms are, are one of those. They're, um, you know, no calories and high in minerals and vitamins and even protein as much in some cases as meat or milk. Um, so Chicken of the Woods is also in my top 10 and it's aptly named. Um, and there's... You know, there's just just to now run through all seven reasons, there's just a delight to um to finding them. They're like the original Easter egg. Uh and that's a hunt you can do at least six months out of the year. You don't have to save it for Easter. <laughs> yeah. Um, how's that for a stab at fungus?
0: Yeah, I mean help? I've I've uh I was introduced to, to fungi from I guess the the TED talk by uh Oops, Paul mm-hmm. Stamets. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about sort of guiding our evolution, I was just blown away by this idea that, that kind of f- fungi under the ground kind of determined w- what happens above ground and that the fungi are all, it's like this, you know, internet, biological internet that um communicates over vast different distances and is actively working to kind of stop us from destroying the ecosystem. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's, um, you know, the Internet to most of us is invisible, but we, we rely on it. Everyone realizes that, just like our cell phone network, and it has existed in this natural form since life on land began. It's um, it's actually a um, another theory that, that it made life possible, because in one cubic inch, you could have eight miles of this capillary network that, It's a seventh the thickness of a human hair, and it's what the mushroom is just the tip of the iceberg of. So the largest creature on Earth is one fungus in Oregon putting up millions of honey mushrooms, and it's three and a half miles across. And those mushrooms are all like your fingertips, you know, part of one body. Uh, It's pretty um, pretty eye-opening again to realize that, like you said, there is a system here that is mutually supportive, supportive of us, and I'm trying to recall in that talk, I'm not sure he, he described that when I say mutually supportive, it means that these this fungal network connects everything, and so nutrients flow between even different species, you know, a thick maple tree would get nutrients from a healthy pine tree. You know, we see, you know, Wild Kingdom like nature movies and, you know, get horrified by doggy dog world that we live in when that's just on the surface. Now, there's far more cooperation going on in nature than competition.
0: Okay. That's pretty big. Yeah. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that struck me as I learned more about fungi is that I was trained that when I talk about plants wanting something like you know from uh-huh. from a, from a uh, evolutionary biology point of view that I was speaking metaphorically at best and I was making an attribution error <laughs> at worst. Uh-huh. I don't believe you know my 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 little introduction to mushrooms makes me doubt that that uh, I think we can we can attribute true sentience and consciousness to things that are not human and not even animal do you mm-hmm. agree disagree well,
1: well i mean in the in the large you no know, i agree in the, in the biggest picture you know it's, it's like the pot calling the kettle black there's a phrase in the bible um you know shall the pot say of the potter you know he didn't make me the the human is a product of of gaia you know and so either if Gaia isn't is sentient or not, like, then, by extension, you know, we are or aren't. It just doesn't... There's a sense, you know, if you study create, creation spirituality, and in, in in that it, it doesn't even make sense to think that, like, well, we have consciousness, and other things don't, if we're all made of consciousness, which is the essence of God, you know, or... In the first place, that's a hard—that's a hard arc for me to cover in a few seconds, but and it's a very weird turnaround um, to say, you know, we don't live on the earth like we are the earth. We came out of the earth, you know, just like any animal or plant. But it, I think it's essential to start, just turn our thinking around that way.
0: All right. Well, you know, we we can eat mushrooms and we can eat pawpaws. And they seem like their own separate things, but the, the the bigger organism that produced them just keep popping them out. So maybe we're the same. Yeah. You know, we're the yeah, I mean, we're the fruit. We're a particular kind of fruit, and we we live. Yeah, exactly. We, we get we we die, and then another one comes up.
1: You know, we think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, like again, you think mushrooms are all separate. Turns out they're not. They're connected. We think we're separate, and you think and it's going to turn out that we're not, you know. Another analogy is, like, we think we're intelligent. The same way if you were to present someone who had never seen a radio before, they would think there was a little man inside the radio, you know, when your podcast goes out uh, talking. And the fact is, like, you know, 10,000 radios are all saying what's coming from a station. And the idea here is the, you know, the, the intelligence that informs our actions is not contained within our bodies. And the same is true for everything we see, even rocks. I mean, it's, when you look at it as a system, then you gain not just a, a truer understanding. I mean, this is what um, non-dualism would call enlightenment, but, but a uh, that sense of home and family that, uh, you know, that we
0: talked a lot about. Right. Yeah. So for folks who are in the Asheville area or can um, mm-hmm. make a trip there, they can come and study with you directly, go on foraging walks. Um, how mm-hmm. about for pe- people who, well, first of all, how, how can people find you uh, if, if they yeah. want to do that?
1: Yeah, the website is notastelikehome.org. Notastelikehome.org. And uh, we, we do travel. I, I have taught, like I said, I went to D.C. to teach, and um, I mostly do regular, I call them tours here, like I said, mostly tours, but they're workshops, and uh, both public and we do, can do private, more intermediate, hands-on things. And, and you have to learn this hands-on. You cannot learn from a book, and you don't need to learn from me, but you have to find someone in your area to, uh, you know, mentor and coach, because this is a skill, and you don't learn a skill from a book. It takes practice, and um, like I said, those kids learn, you know, cabbage and iceberg lettuce just from doing it with their parents, and um, if you can find someone like that, that's ideal. Cheapest and easiest and most effective way to learn.
0: Right. So, so I, I first discovered mushroom hunters from reading um, the Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan, mm-hmm. and the way he yeah. the way he portrayed the community is that it's extremely secretive and really hard to get him to tell you anything. Uh, so I didn't even try, and now mm-hmm. now I'm living in a pretty rural area outside of Chapel Hill, and you know I've got some backwoods, and I walk around and I see all these fungi come up, and honestly, I'm too scared to uh, to try to figure out what they are is is it is that the way it is that, that do you have to get lucky to find someone willing to share the the secrets of, of fungi and foraging or is it a more uh, generous community than, than pollen represents?
1: Yeah I mean yes and no. I mean that's sort of a romantic notion that goes along with you know the desire for magic bullets you know that worships like the drug just say like oh there's only certain people, and it's a secret, and it's hard to learn. Um, And, um, unfortunately, in our scarcity culture, that may be true. You know, that certainly would be true for truffle hunters in Italy, for example. But things are very different here in the U.S. There are mushroom clubs everywhere. Asheville has one with a couple hundred members. I think the Triangle area, a fellow named Robert Springer, I believe, has gotten the club together. You can... Look him up. Um, Kim Calhoun teaches wild foods classes, not specifically on mushrooms, you know, in the Triangle area. And um, I have people, because I go there once a year, um, and uh, Pickards Mountain, I believe, uh, has somebody every year. It's not me. And um, it it would not be difficult to find someone, I'm sure, like anywhere um in this country even in this country is probably the the, le- the most mycophobic one um in the world and if you look up uh North American Mycological Association you'll get a directory of clubs in every state
0: awesome so there's a there's no reason not to take a couple hours go find a walk um and just i think if you if you just start to open your eyes to what's available to us to this uh to this vast treasure that's all around us, then the the rest can come. All the the nuances mm-hmm. and the the discernments of mm-hmm. this one's edible, that one's medicinal. Don't touch that one. Uh, but it's re- it's really about. I think I think the relationship can shift in an instant. Our relationship mm-hmm. to to the earth as Eden, as opposed to exile. Yeah, yeah, that's,
1: that's, that sums it up. You know, hopefully they'll light bulb goes off as soon as you walk outside, you know, my old co-teacher would say, you eat something wild every day. And he meant, you know, just look in your yard and there's planting, you know, and maybe
0: chickweed.
1: I'm looking at onion grass all around me right now and a pine pine tree, um, clover, uh, yellow dock, even the grass, <laughs> you know, wheat grass you could eat. So I'm not seeing anything poisonous
0: right now (laughs) where i'm standing it's such a simple act and it's such a revolutionary one it uh you know it's in in like my wife likes to talk about you know why why we need to start with food when we want to bring about some sort of global revolution in consciousness you, you can talk all the activism you want and all the rebellion you want but if you, you know, mm-hmm. if your kid runs away from home and comes back for three meals a day, they haven't really run away from home.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I'm also reading Sacred Economics. Oh, and it's oh, wonderful.
0: I, I, mm-hmm. I love his work, Charles Eisenstein. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Have, so you he, seen,
0: have you seen his latest book, The More Beautiful World?
1: No. Oh, no. my God. It's, a but, mind, it's
0: mind-blowing. I thought I thought I've been following his work for a while and I thought that sacred economics was kind of a pinnacle and Uh this his his latest book makes it clear that it was, it was just a sort of base camp of thinking that he's, he's really taken it to, to amazing heights. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it's exciting to, to see that what I'm, what I'm doing fits into that bigger picture, you know, that, of getting beyond the fear and scarcity that is self imposed and self created by us by the system you know including our food system, but you know all of our approach to you know to how to be here you know and even why
0: Alan, this has been a really far far ranging fascinating and inspiring conversation for me, so I really want to. Thank you for taking the time for sharing.
1: Yeah, man, I really enjoyed it, too. Thanks for having
0: me. You're very welcome. So it's uh, the w- name of the website again?
1: Yes, it's notastelikehome.org.
0: Notastelikehome.org. And if people like, like puns and turns of phrase, there's a, there's a million on every one of the pages. It's a, it's a uh, <laughs> you know, We've been talking fairly seriously and soberly, but you are a hilarious fellow I don't I don't think we we didn't plan our uh, our comedy act but when I read your website it's just a a laugh a minute as well as an insight a second so uh, Alan Musker thank you so much for taking the time and I wish you all the best all right you too Howard bye-bye well I hope you enjoyed that episode I hope you found a lot to chew on and maybe you're starting to think about some wild plants in new ways and maybe you'll find someone in your local area to take you out to explore them. Um, Alan is very clear that uh, a field book is no substitute for a field guide. So don't start chomping on things willy nilly just because it looks like a picture uh, in a book or uh, on an app on your iPad. So coming up um, the next couple of weeks, we have interviews with plant based Katie, Katie May, who has managed to take uh, SOS-free cookings, that's uh, sugar, oil, and salt, to uh, a new level through uh, in Italian and Mexican cuisine and has just come out with, just in time for the holidays, a, uh, a book of desserts. We'll be talking to her soon. Um, I also have an interview coming up with the amazing Koya Webb. That's W-E-B-B, if you want to look her up, K-O-Y-A. W-E-B-B, a uh, fantastic uh, yoga instructor and health personality whom I met uh, in the spring. And she is so full of energy and inspiration. Uh, Make sure you tune in for that one as well. So thanks for listening and be well, my friends.